and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Tarang Gupta, and our guest today is Tanner Hackett, the founder and CEO of Counterpart. Counterpart is an AI-driven insurtech company that uses data and technology to provide management liability insurance products. Before founding Counterpart, Tanner co-founded two successful ventures, including the Malaysian arm of Lazada, which quickly became the largest e-commerce company in Southeast Asia, and Button, which has become the world's largest mobile-first affiliate platform, partnering with brands like Amazon, Walmart, Booking.com, and Uber. Join us as we discuss how insuring SMEs can be tricky, why Tanner chose to focus on specialty insurance, counterparts' recent $30 million Series B raise, and why the insure tech industry has generally delivered below expectations. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Tanner. How are you? Best day of my life. Oh, really? Why so? Why isn't it? It should be, right? <laughs> another, another day we get out of bed. Another, another day to uh, enjoy the roller coaster of life. That is an absolutely fantastic outlook on life, yeah. especially on a Monday. Yeah, especially after the roller coaster we've been through for the last few days um, in the wake of uh, certain capital market events. Of course, I agree. I agree. We will touch upon that. But first, let's start by talking about your background. So share a bit about your career and how you got involved in fintech. Yeah, so I am, I've started a few companies before. This is my first venture in fintech, specifically in sure tech. Counterpart is a management liability and professional liability platform. Uh, we combine the expertise of insurance underwriters and product leaders with deep AI in underwriting and claims uh, to help small businesses navigate the, the nuanced exposures of the 21st century. So how I got here uh, was uh, an interesting sequence of events. I, the first company that uh, I helped to co-found was an e-commerce company out in Southeast Asia. Uh, called Lazada. I was living in Malaysia. Um, uh, e-commerce really didn't exist at that time. Uh, this was 2012. And we went out there and uh, uh, built the, the rails for people to purchase goods online through credit card and have them delivered to their door, something that was pretty novel in what was formerly a, a, a more of a, a mall consumer society. And um, then I went on to build another company called button uh, where I was co-founder and we focused on marketing tech, specifically mobile marketing. This was you know the, the famous phase of the, the mobilization of our economy uh, where we saw consumer trends going online, we saw consumption trends going online and we built uh, the facility for this intent-based marketing on mobile and web. Uh, so when you see certain content on mobile, allowing the user to directly link to that app or that page and, and transact. And then landed in, in SureTech, not directly, but uh, through the circuitous path of, of uh, first starting off in HR tech. So Counterpart uh, was a little known fact, started as a, a, an HR tech company where we looked at a lot of the services that we had adopted in an early stage of Button. Uh, we really believed in, in culture uh, and learning and development of our employees and were early adopters of tools like CultureAmp and Lattice 
these were learning development software, uh, employee feedback software, uh, collaboration software, Slack, etc. And the initial company was actually looking at how we weave together all of these software services and make it more accessible and consumable to businesses that are trying to figure out how they scale, how they be more efficient, how they be better stewards for their employees. Because there was a lot of uh, proven research on how uh, collaborative, more collaborative, more transparent, um, and uh, uh, companies with stronger culture actually had better performance over the long term. But the reality is, is that when you approach a business with limited resources and you tell them the story about how they can improve over the long term, the immediate question is, well, what does this mean? What's the level of effort? in the short term and what's the return in the short term. And that's, that's, that's where, um, you know, I, I realized that it was a little difficult to sell these services in to, to companies that were struggling operationally um, to, to grow. And there was another product line that actually served in a similar capacity, but actually from the standpoint of when adverse events happen, when people don't do these things. And that's management liability insurance, and that's professional liability insurance. So this is when you've had a layoff, when you've had uh, you know, and a wrongful termination suit comes along, or there's discrimination or harassment, or um, there's negligence, misrepresentations. These are all centered around people, you know, in culture, compliance, governance, business operations. That we felt that we could underwrite more efficiently because we're collecting more data and then flipped flip from just being a risk transfer product to being a risk mitigation product. So thinking about what are we underwriting to, to understand what the exposures are of this business of this business are, it helps us price the risk. And then what can we do proactively to help this company reduce the frequency or the, the probability of these events occurring? Fascinating. So when you were going about this, right, when did you know that this is the this is the right way? Like like what made you realize what was that aha moment you were like, okay, this is what we're gonna focus on from now? Um part of this is stubbornness. I knew that there was something uh, around HR compliance that was lacking with small businesses. They just don't have a compliance function. They don't have you know, a lot of small businesses don't have an HR function. Uh, but it's really important, especially in as we think about the growth of companies, it's, it's dependent upon people. I feel like COVID really forced this issue to the front, which is your business is only as good as your people. And people started, and companies started to really invest in people. We were trying to make that leap before COVID. And, you know, it was acknowledged generally, but um, it wasn't practiced. So I knew that there was an opportunity there. It was trying to figure out what, what is the selling point. And it, it really clicked in, in talking to other entrepreneurs in the, the insurance space that this is a massive market. And this is a market where we think of table stakes in other industries. They're still in 1.0 of that digitization phase. And uh, we have an opportunity to bring them to 2.0 through better data, um, through better technology, and also just a culture of innovation. So my next question is, if it's such a big market, why don't you see or why don't you see big players like let's Liberty or Prudential like really focusing on these product lines? And if they do, what's 
what makes you stand out? Yeah, great question. There are some lines of insurance where there are really sophisticated players. But we're talking about the Geico's, the progressives of the world. They're very good at what they do. And Warren Buffett, he smells opportunity. And that's why he's made big investments in in a lot of these businesses. And it's, it's a great business to be in. And, you know, we've seen competition from insurtechs. It's been a challenge for these insurtechs to go toe-to-toe with um, a Geico or a Progressive and, and, you know, home and auto. We found that in particular lines, we, we chose commercial lines. Uh, we see that it's not necessarily as big of an opportunity uh, in terms of the TAM, but the there hasn't been the urgency to adopt the more sophisticated data infrastructure and technology infrastructure that these larger markets have. So I think it's more of a cascading uh, urgency to, as you look at the TAM, where do you start your innovation if you're a large insurance carrier? When do you make it to the nth market? And how can we successfully establish ourselves as a major player in a very large market? But one that, you know, it's it's not necessarily going to move the needle for some of these major insurance carriers. They have so many other lines to be thinking about. And unlike a major carrier, which has all these lines, and they use it as ballast for when claims heat up in one area, they're able to balance their overall loss ratios by having you know, a profitable business in, in other lines. We said... No, we we think we can build just a profitable business overall, year over year, by specifically specifically focusing on two lines where we have a unique competitive advantage. And so, ours is being our strategy is to be very scientific in everything we build, developing this ourselves. So, home rolled applications, uh, backend infrastructure, data infrastructure. Uh, risk mitigation services, uh, claims management services, services. So building this ecosystem of innovation around particular lines uh, where us being really focused on this, having the capital that we have and having the team that we have are able to to make a dent in something that uh, when you look at it, even from a TAM perspective, uh, a small percentage of that TAM becomes very attractive from an, an investor standpoint. So, so can you break down counterpart a bit for us and talk to us about on the front end, you have the small and medium businesses, right? But what are the limits? What are the criteria that you use to select who can use your services or products, right? And on the back end, how do you, or what data do you use in terms of understanding risk and pricing it accurately? Yeah. Have you ever purchased commercial insurance? Have you ever seen, what what type of insurance do you have? Just so I. Health insurance, renter's insurance. Great, great. B2B2C, like for mobiles and all, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So if you've ever been a small business, you have gone through this painful process of submitting an application for an insurance line that you probably don't even know what you're buying, frankly. It's it's coming from a broker that's educating you about risks, which you probably don't want to think about. You don't want to think about these risks. You want to think about growing your business, right? You don't want to think about what could happen. That's why brokers exist because they're able to match the operations of a company with the potential exposures 
and they're market makers. They're able to go uh, figure out which carriers provide the type of coverage for this that this business could need at some point. And ideally, if you're a policyholder, you never have to use your insurance. And ideally, if you're a carrier, you hope that policyholder doesn't have to use their insurance, but they will at some point. And you know that's that's why we're in business. And so we looked at this whole process of how insurance is procured and said, okay, how do we create value? Knowing that I think brokers actually do create a lot of value. Um, And this was where we were a bit different from some of the insure tech companies. A lot of insure tech companies looked at, oh, can we make the workflows easier? Can we, can we, you know, look at the cost per click and, you know, uh, drive adoption? We said, we're not really going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the first principles of how you underwrite. And, you know, it, it could be improved from a workflow standpoint of how you procure insurance, but it's even more important that these companies get the coverage that they need for the exposures that they have at the, at the right terms. And this is where, uh, if you look at an app, a traditional application, it's 30, 40 questions sometimes. And, you know, they're asking about, what zip code are you in and what's your industry? This is all stuff. Um, if you've been in technology for a while, this is all stuff you can collect yourself. This is widely available for, for many companies. So we said, we'll make it easier. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll trust, but verify this information. And then we'll go one step further and collect information about the company that you may even not even know or and be able to disclose, or it's not worth the time to ask an additional 100, 150 more questions to this company. Uh, but it is really valuable for us in underwriting. And that includes things when you, when you think about the exposures we talked about of you know, culture, compliance, governance, business operations. Now, this is what employees are saying about the company. This is what uh, the um, uh, customers are saying about the company. This is What's the financial standing of the business? Because when you have difficult financial circumstances, you're you're typically rushed in, into making poor decisions. So all this goes uh, into a model where we have uh, several actuaries on staff and um, uh, several uh, data scientists on staff who aggregate this information into our digital risk profile that tells us, here's the traditional view of insurance. Here's how a, a underwriter would look at this business. Uh, if they just looked at the application questions, here's how they would look at it with this augmentation of information. And that's when I, when I shared a little bit about what Counterpart does. We're not trying to disrupt the insurance industry. I think there's a lot of people love using this term. We're trying to enhance. We're trying to improve. We're trying to move this industry forward because there's, there's intuition, there's experience that underwriters have. This is very difficult to model this, but can we make them even smarter than they would be? Can we give them this three-dimensional view of a risk that allows us to select risk better and to price risk better and be offer even better coverage? So if you could share a bit more about the business itself, right? How do you earn revenue? Is it just the premiums or do you have alternate revenue sources as well? And being a tech or for fintech business, what's your biggest cost center? I'll answer the latter first, which is our biggest cost center is our people, as it should be. 
is uh, we hire exceptional people from the insurance industry, and we, we call them risk engineers because they behave like product managers. Not only do they help to underwrite the business, a submission comes in that needs to be reviewed, but they review this and they develop relationships with our broker partners. But they're also constantly fine-tuning this model based on changes in the external environment, uh, changes in you know what they're hearing from other carriers about new exposures, uh, and and their own experience too to to say you know I've I've seen claims come in from this exposure what can we do to uh, sublimit it or what type of risk management can we offer on top of that so yeah we have hired a lot of exceptionally um, talented people as a as R and D to validate this model and you know after two and a half years of of writing business we feel very good about this nuanced approach that we have and our revenue comes from our partnerships with major insurance companies who said, we like this business. We would love to participate in this business, but we don't really have a competitive advantage necessarily to be successful. And we step in in a partnership capacity, what's called an MGU, where we provide the facility, this program facility to go write, underwrite this business and place this business and help to, to manage the risk of the business on behalf of the, the major insurance carriers, which includes Markel and Aspen Insurance. Now, coming to this, to the sort of follow on to that, being uh, focused allows you to be more agile, right? But does it also impact the customer acquisition cost that you have, given the fact that uh, a small business might not have heard counterparts name as much as it would have heard of a bigger insurance player. What's your thought on that? Another great question. Entering a space that is fairly crowded and there is definitely an established workflow for how this product was procured, just processes, you know, everything's fairly normalized. We had to come in and, and make sure people knew who we were. And it started by hiring great people that were um, well-known in the industry that, that gave us credibility. Uh, one of our advisors is the, the former uh, chief product officer for Chubb and management liability. And folks like Mike Levins, who he's been in the insurance industry for a long time, has built up several different books. He partnered with us. He was the, the third person to join the company and was formerly very senior leader over at Hiscox and several other uh, well-established insurance company. So he had, he had worked in the industry uh, for quite a long time. And so you, you are able to get access to the market, which is just the first step. But how do you demonstrate value to the market is a different one. We entered the market at what was pretty an opportune time. Like I would love to claim we had the best strategy. I would love to claim that it was you know, drawn up on a whiteboard a long time ago. But the reality is, is we entered during COVID, which was really scary on one half, uh, on, on one side. But on the other side, a lot of markets were backing off. A lot of markets weren't giving great signals to brokers. They weren't dependable. And we stepped in and said, hey, 
you know, there's people that you know and you respect here. We're bringing this new perspective on what insurance can be. And we're able to break into this market by helping them in their time of need. So every entrepreneur will, will tell you that there's a lot of luck that goes into being successful. And we are no different uh, that uh, we entered in what's called a hard market in insurance where rates are increasing, capacities being taken out. People aren't being able to get the coverage they need. And we leaned into this market and um, did so by, by providing really exceptional service. So can you elaborate a bit more about the growth since the, since the launch? How, how many users you have onboarded, any investment raised, or any new product lines or services offered? Yeah, we have raised $40 million from some of the most respected VC, private equity companies in Silicon Valley, New York, Chicago. Um, this includes SUSA, Felicis, Valor Equity Partners, VY Capital. Um, these are folks that were very interested in not just you know the TAM that we talked about, uh, but also saw the opportunity from their portfolio companies being affected by suboptimal insurance procedures, underwriting, placement, et cetera. And it's irritating because every time they're on a board, you force a, a company to get directors and officers insurance. And in many cases, it can take weeks or months to get this insurance. And so they were, they, they saw, they recognized that this was a big opportunity and, you know, they, they gave us the investment to, to make sure that this didn't have to be a headache anymore for their, their portfolio businesses. Since we've launched, um, we, we, we write in all 50 of the, the states. Um, we've expanded from just directors and officers, employment practices and fiduciary to include crime insurance uh, and also professional liability insurance, specifically miscellaneous professional liability insurance. We were initially just writing with Markel when we launched in COVID. Aspen Insurance joined us on this journey in May of last year. And we're constantly looking at ways we can expand our appetite uh, of the industries that we serve, uh, where um, uh, previously focused on really main street businesses and now uh, looking at everything from uh, healthcare to more complicated and larger businesses, up to 250 employees. My next question is, or might be of special interest for our listeners, is counterpart hiring. If yes, what do you look for in potential colleagues? Yes, we are hiring. Specifically in the areas of R&D that I mentioned, uh, of product and engineering data, also on the, the, the sales side. What really differentiates a, a great employee is uh, this iterative mindset, this growth mindset. And it's hard to uh, put your finger on it, but there's a real difference from what I've seen in building several companies of folks that are happy with the status quo versus those that just have this enthusiasm to continue to challenge themselves and others to improve and iterate upon the product, upon the way they operate, upon uh, their peers, the workflows. And we feed off that here. Uh, we, we, we talk about our values all the time. 
one of our key values is control your own destiny because in the startup space, you're going to hear no every single day. But a no is just a no to what you proposed as proposed. That doesn't mean a no to the solution you're working towards. So how do you choose an alternative path? How do you, how do you iterate upon your logic or, or your deliverable to get to a maybe? And then turn that maybe into a yes. Or the other analogy is, you know, you, you think you want to get to point A from point A to point B. Well, sometimes you got to go from point A to point C to point D to get back to point B. And that's just, that's the, the old mantra of do the things that don't scale. Um, it is, that's, that's the, um, the effort and enthusiasm that you need to apply to this because uh, you're just you just have to be prepared to hear no a lot and be comfortable with that and use it as motivation. Switching over to talking about the industry overall, there have been talks about how insurtech industry as a whole has not been able to, as you said, disrupt the insurance industry or deliver on the growth projections it had. What's your take on this? And what are some trends within insurtech that you see are on the rise? Yeah, I, I would agree. They haven't disrupted insurance. Going back to that term, I, I think it's a silly term. I, I don't actually know what it means to disrupt. Uh, I, I think the contention there is that they have been able to innovate and they've created some urgency in lines of business where there wasn't necessarily the pace of innovation that there was before. So people can say what they want about the lemonades and the roots and the metro miles because you know, their stock price has struggled. But let's not discount what they've invited into this economy, which is they've brought incredible talent from a variety of different industries who have been shown the way to establish companies that may have been innovating and that, you know they may have had some resources out, allocated to R&D, but they brought it to the boardroom level. And they said, here's, here's you know, the new watermark for what data infrastructure looks like and what customer service looks like and you know what, what an application should look like. So I know that there's a lot of media uh, focused on the lack of you know, the headlines for this standout evolution of insurance, but this is a massive industry. And it is happening in pockets. I would argue that some of the, the cyber insurance companies have really disrupted this market. They've, they've thought about it. They brought a whole new product to life that was interesting, but now they've created this, this new opportunity uh, for businesses to get coverage and an exposure that, that is growing. Management liability in particular, we looked at this and said, it needs to exist. It's been around for 40 years. It needs to exist. There's some, there's some triage we can do around the underwriting process, and there's enhancements we can make. But it's really about partnering with a carrier that's established, that has been doing this before, and figuring out you know, where do we fit in this big value chain to deliver a product to a small business that addresses their exposure. Because you have to think about this value chain of broker, then counterpart, then insurance carrier, and the flow of funds of premium going to them, and then claims coming back 
uh, and, and losses coming coming back to the insured. So disruption, I don't know how I how you would um, classify that, but I feel like it's happening in every phase of this. Just to the outside perspective, you're not seeing it. Also partially because what we're getting to is almost the the level of expectations that people have about nearly every other industry. So so it's it's almost as though the insurance industry is is operating from behind. They haven't really gotten to the 21st century. We're bringing insurance to the 21st century, which is pretty revolutionary <laughs> in that sense. Everything from you know thinking about data lakes and access and uh, the UI layer to data to to application layers for insurance that are really accretive to all the different stakeholders, being it the underwriter, the claims management team, the broker, and the policyholder. Switching over to a final segment where I'd like to introduce you more as a person to our listeners. I have a couple of rapid fire questions lined up for you. My first question is, what is the fun fact about you that most people don't know? I'm obsessed with psychology from many different perspectives. I think it is part of the reason why I find insurance so fascinating, I've become obsessed with it, is because essentially management liability is people insurance. You think about the dynamics of how people interact in this really high pressure environment of an organization and uh, the things that organizations can do to align people on a mission, a vision, and uh, the fact that culture is so ill-defined. Culture doesn't mean that a company, you know, a, a company that works 10 hours a day is a bad culture. It's only a bad culture if the participants in this environment don't align w- with those values. Just as, you know, uh, somebody that wants to work 10 hours a day, if they don't go to a company that's half day, they're probably not going to fit in. That's not a great culture fit. So I love the psychology of insurance. I love the psychology of organizations and and just, um, you know, mental health in particular. Is, is a really fascinating subject for me on a variety of different lines. Who is one person that you would love to have dinner with? Marcus Aurelius. He was uh, the original Stoic. He was, um, his writings and musings are fascinating read. To think about the world being on his shoulders and for him to take the time to digest this information and process it his decision making, his 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 um, how in touch he is with his his own psychology and, and emotions is is really impressive, and I think it's a, a lesson um, for all of us that uh, you know, as, as crazy as we think that our environment is, he really was trying to manage the world and still was able to internalize this and and. Uh, and present some very lucid thoughts on how to manage. What has been the most fun aspect of building counterpart? I got to say the people, this, this idea of bringing traditional insurance people that have operated in this industry for in some cases, decades and providing them with this environment of innovation and the people that you know, engineers and data scientists that essentially become magicians anything the insurance team can dream of, we're able to to build and make accessible to insurance folks that knew it could be done differ- differently or better from their, their experience in, in 
more established carriers, but just just didn't have the the access to the resources to make the change that they wanted to see. If you could go back in time, is there anything that you would do differently from a professional standpoint? Yeah, so I didn't start my first company until I was uh, in my late 20s. I think that entrepreneurship is such an exciting place to be and has led to so much of my growth. I just wish I would have done it earlier because the reps you get from entrepreneurship in terms of dealing with complex circumstances, dealing with people, um, you know, the, the uh, overall enjoyment you get from building something tangible is, is unlike anything I've experienced outside of, you know, family, of course. Uh, I think it's made me um, a more empathetic, more well-rounded person. And something I look back at, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I'm like, wow, I've come a really long ways. And I have the people that I've worked with to thank in the circumstances, the challenging circumstances that I've, I've put myself in. On that note, Tanner, I'll let you get back to work. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, this has been fantastic. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Walt in Fintech podcast. If you like the show, then please show us some love on social media or consider leaving a review. It means a lot to us and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, special thanks to our editor, Rafael Osteria. Signing off until next time, I'm your host, Tarang Gupta. Gupta.